Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. I've got a really important topic for you for today's episode, postpartum psychosis. But before we dive in, I do have some exciting news for all of the clinicians who are listening to this podcast episode. I created the Fellowship in Reproductive and Integrative Psychiatry because of my passion for education. And I've worked with physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, therapists, midwives, and many others who are involved in the care of women across the reproductive lifespan. And while there are some amazing educational opportunities in the field of general reproductive mental health, A lot of participants are drawn to this program because of its focus on integrating traditional and complementary treatment options and our collaborative community for networking opportunities. The good news is that summer registration is now open, and members of the current and past groups have shared that they find the online content and interactive seminars really educational and valuable. It's geared towards all clinicians physicians, midwives, nurse practitioners, psychologists, anyone who works with patients who are pregnant, postpartum, perimenopausal, and more. And the goal is to learn new treatment modalities outside of traditional psychopharmacology to help our patients, to make connections with like-minded clinicians, and to grow your practice and clinical reach. If you're interested in learning more, take a look at psychiatryfellowship.com and feel free to reach out with any questions. Now let's dive into today's episode. We're talking about postpartum psychosis. Recently, May 5th, was Postpartum Psychosis Awareness Day. And this topic can be a scary one. We've all heard some of the tragic stories on the news about families where mom suffered from this condition. And there can be significant risks to mom and baby, which is why postpartum psychosis is considered a psychiatric emergency. But the good news is also that it can respond really well to treatment, and there are ways to decrease person's risk. So we're going to talk about all of that. Let's start with defining postpartum psychosis. This can be a really confusing diagnosis, not just for patients, but also for clinicians. The word psychosis refers, in essence, to a break from reality. It could be someone who's experiencing things that aren't real, for example, hallucinations like hearing voices or delusions, which are false beliefs about the world. But postpartum psychosis can be more challenging to diagnose because it doesn't always present in that classic way with these kinds of classic psychotic symptoms that I mentioned. And it often has a different treatment trajectory. And so it's actually been argued that maybe it should be a separate diagnosis in the diagnostic manual that's used by mental health professionals. That issue is a separate one from the one that we're talking about today. Let's go back to what postpartum psychosis might look like. In addition to some of those classic psychotic symptoms that we just discussed, it often involves quite a bit of disorganization. That could mean difficulty putting thoughts together, or maybe someone is having fewer thoughts and unable to communicate. They might seem or feel frozen, and they could feel really disoriented and disconnected from themselves and the world around them. 
And there's often a mood component, and that could be irritability, it could be depression, mania, or a mixture of any of those. How common is postpartum psychosis? Well, the numbers vary depending on which study you're looking at, but it ranges around one out of a thousand women who are postpartum will experience this condition. The thing to keep in mind is that it's really rapid in terms of onset of the symptoms that we just discussed. Usually within the first few days, generally within the first week or so postpartum. And there are some reports of increased rates recently, and that could perhaps be due to the pandemic and some of the associated stress. What causes postpartum psychosis? It's not just one thing. There's a genetic component. For example, if you have a family history of psychotic conditions, there's the component of sleep deprivation and circadian rhythm changes and challenges, the hormonal shifts that happen postpartum, and there could also be immunological or metabolic vulnerabilities. All of those things can contribute to the onset of this really serious condition. So what are the signs? What might you see as a partner or loved one of someone who might be struggling with this condition? What you might see is that the person is sleeping less. They could be making confusing comments, often about the baby. They might be expressing suspiciousness that's unfounded. They could be making statements about not feeling like oneself or exhibiting disorganized behavior. If you do notice that your loved one is having some of these signs and symptoms, I strongly would encourage you to seek professional mental health care because, as I said at the beginning, postpartum psychosis is really a medical and psychiatric and obstetric emergency. Now, what are the risks for developing postpartum psychosis? The most common underlying cause is bipolar disorder. Now, that does not mean that every woman with bipolar disorder will develop postpartum psychosis. I do want to emphasize that because I've worked with so many women in my clinic who have bipolar disorder and they've had healthy pregnancies and postpartum periods, but often were very anxious and fearful about embarking on a journey into pregnancy and postpartum because of their concerns for having these kinds of postpartum symptoms. The thing to keep in mind is that there are ways that we can reduce the risk of postpartum psychosis, particularly in those who have a pre-existing diagnosed bipolar condition. And the primary things that I want to emphasize are number one, continuing to engage in treatment. One of the risks is discontinuation of medications that were previously keeping a woman who has bipolar disorder stable. So definitely continuing with treatment, working with a mental health clinician who has experience in reproductive and perinatal mental health, who's going to be able to explain to you the reasons and rationales, the pros and cons of the medications that you might be taking for your condition and the importance of continuing to engage in treatment. So that's number one. And number two is really focusing on sleep. Sleep deprivation can definitely be a trigger for an episode postpartum. And so it's really important to have a comprehensive plan for sleep postpartum. That might mean additional help, whether that's paid help in the form of something like a doula or whether that's family assistance, perhaps with family members, the grandparent generation who might be able to help out, but definitely having a plan 
for managing postpartum and helping to take care of the baby postpartum so that mom can ensure solid chunks of sleep. It's ideal if there's a way to ensure that mom is getting chunks of at least four to five hours of sleep overnight that can be really protective. And that might mean an adjustment in certain expectations, for example, around breastfeeding. So continuing to engage with a mental health professional, continuing to be involved in mental health treatment and taking medications that are prescribed, making sure that sleep is protected. And then the last piece that I want to mention is social support. Social support is really important in the postpartum period in order to ensure mental health and wellness. Focusing on those three elements can help reduce the risk of postpartum psychosis in those who might be at higher risk. And then for those who experience postpartum psychosis, like I mentioned in the very beginning, it's a condition that's really treatable. However, there is a high rate of recurrence if there isn't treatment, and that rate can be as high as 75 up to 90%. But there is good treatment available. It's treated with medication, with ensuring the safety of mom and baby, and that might mean some time in the hospital, thinking about psychotherapy and other support systems, and really having a collaborative care team and collaborative social support to ensure that mom can recover from the experience. Now, if you, as either a patient or a clinician, are interested in learning more about postpartum psychosis, the best resource that I can recommend, and I'm going to post links to this, is the information available through Massachusetts General Hospital's program. MGH out of Boston is actually my alma mater. That's where I completed my residency training, and they have an amazing powerhouse of information and research on this topic. If you go to womensmentalhealth.org, you'll find many different articles on the topic of postpartum psychosis, and they're actually also recruiting for a project on postpartum psychosis. They're actively studying the condition and learning more about the risks, the course, the diagnosis, the treatment options, and more. So I would highly encourage you to take a look at their information on this topic. So again, postpartum psychosis is relatively rare, but it is a psychiatric emergency. There are ways that if you are at higher risk, we can reduce that risk. And if someone is struggling with symptoms of postpartum psychosis, it is an emergency, but it is a treatable emergency. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.